We are continuing our study on the purpose of the church. This is the second sermon. We're going to do five, thinking about why are we here? What is the purpose of the church? Why has God placed the church in the world? And it's a great question. And today we're going to pick up where we left off last week, looking at our mission statement. So let's just begin with that. I think we're all probably to the point where we know this by now, most of us. Let's say it together. To help all people... And last week we did the first half of that to help all people. We talked about the fact that the church is here to help people, not to hurt people. And the church is here to help all people, not just some people. Now today we're going to answer the, we're going to deal with the next part of that mission statement. What specifically is the church here to do? How are we to help people? We're to help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ. We're not just to pat people on the back or encourage people, say everything's going to be okay. We're here to help them have an encounter with Jesus Christ that would so change their lives that they would never again be the same. So if you'll open your Bible today to the Gospel of John in chapter number 12. As I was beginning this sermon uh, last Monday, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, you know, God wants our lives to be so different, so changed by the person of Jesus Christ who's living in us that when other people look at us, they see something different. They may not even know what it is, but they know something's different. We're different than we used to be. And I thought, now, what's the best example in the Bible of somebody whose life had been so changed by Jesus that other people, when they just saw that person's life, they thought, wow. God, the power of God is all over that person's life. And I thought about a man named Lazarus. Now, most of us are familiar with the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11, how he got sick and then he died. And then Jesus showed up in the little town where he lived. And by the time Jesus got there, he'd been buried for four days. And Jesus went up to that grave, called Lazarus' name, and Lazarus came up out of the grave. He raised him uh, from death to life. It's an amazing story. And most of us are familiar with that. But we're not as familiar with what happened in the very next chapter, in chapter number 12, where they had a special meal for Jesus. And so here's Jesus in the city of Bethany with these people who were close to Lazarus, and there's a special meal, and at the table was Lazarus himself. Now, you can imagine if you lived in Bethany back then, and you're hearing about this big dinner that's going to be served in honor of Jesus, and somebody just says, and by the way, Lazarus will be at the meal. Well, had you not heard that he had been raised from the dead, you might think Lazarus is going to be at the meal. He'd been, he died. He's been buried. How, how is Lazarus going to be at this meal? They say, well, hey, Jesus brought him back to life. And so all the people are coming to this house and they're looking at Jesus, certainly, but they're also looking at Lazarus and they're thinking, what in the world is happening here? Let's just look at what it says in John chapter 12 and in verse 9. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that Jesus was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only. In other words, they didn't just come to see Jesus, but that they might also see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. In this small town, there was as much excitement about seeing Lazarus as there was about seeing Jesus because Jesus had raised this man from the dead. Now, the first thing that I want to say as we think about how can we help other people experience new life in Jesus Christ, the first thing I would say is this, other people should be able to see the life of Christ in us. In other words, when you were saved, 
The Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you. He's there right now. And as I look at you, I can't see the Holy Spirit. You look at me, you can't see the Holy Spirit in me. But you should be able to see evidence of him in me and, and I, I with you. And so when other people look at us, they should be able to see the life of Christ. Let's look at this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a familiar verse in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away Behold, all things have become new. And so after we receive Christ, we are new creation. People should look at us and be able to see there's something different there. It's not the same that they used to be. That person is not involved in the same activities that he or she used to be involved in. They don't talk the same as they used to talk. They don't act the same. They don't seem as agitated and uptight. They seem more relaxed. They seem more laid back. There's something different that is going on in that person's life. And so the first thing I'm saying today, we want to help other people experience new life in Christ. We all know people who, who don't know the Lord. But the first thing that we have to do is to live our lives in such a way that they could see Jesus living in us. Now, when that happens, when, when we're living that way, other people should, now you have to really ask yourself, how often does this happen? But other people should come up to you and ask you, what gives with you? What is the reason for this change I see in your life? Look at this verse in 1 Peter chapter number three. It's an interesting verse. Peter says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So the Bible is saying here, if we're living right with God, other people should ask us, what's your secret? How do you have this joy? How do you have this peace? And it makes me think, and it should make you think, when is the last time somebody approached me? Not that I approached them, but they approached me, and they begin to ask, you know, what is the deal with you? What is going on in your life? All I'm saying is this. When other people look at you, they should be able to see the life of Christ. You still with me so far? Say amen. It's just that simple. But where I want to put the emphasis today is on the other side of that coin. And that is this. We should be able to share the life of Christ with them. While it's true that when people looked at Lazarus, they knew something had happened to him. Think about this. Nobody got saved just by looking at Lazarus. And I don't care how full of the Spirit you and I might be or hope to be, nobody is going to just is going to get saved just by looking at our lives. That's the first part. If we don't have an obvious change in our life, when we share, it's going to be hollow and empty. But if we if we have been changed, we should be able to put into words what it is specifically that has happened in our life and how Jesus has changed us. And so today, what I want us to really think about. When you're talking to another person about Jesus, what do you say? Now, I don't know how it is for you, but I'm just saying how it is for me. It's not always easy to talk to another person about Jesus. It's just not. We talk about witnessing or sharing your faith or trying to lead somebody to Christ. And it's not, and I mean, I'm a minister. I I know what to say. And just like I'm sure you know what to say, but just because we know what to say doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy to actually do that. Sometimes it's hard to start the conversation. 
sometimes we're like, man, I hope I don't say something wrong or if, if I talk to that person about the Lord, are they gonna think that I think I'm better than them or if I bring that up, are they gonna think that I'm looking down on them or is it gonna be awkward or what's gonna happen if I, if I mention God or if I say to somebody, hey, you know, the greatest thing that ever happened to me is how Jesus Christ changed my life and you know, that may have happened to you before. I don't know, but would you mind if I just shared with you what he's done for me? Man, that's a, that's a hard thing to say. It's much easier for me to say that here in front of hundreds of people than it is for me one-on-one -on -one to say that. I mean, I, I do say it, but sometimes you get a little nervous. Sometimes you don't know how to start the conversation, and sometimes it's not easy. Now, before we get into how do you do that, how do you share the gospel, how do you put that into words, let me say this. Sometimes in life, God has us in a situation where we're just supposed to plant a seed. Maybe, you know, I, I've talked to people before and they, for example, say to me, you know, John, every time I go to a restaurant, I'm going to tell the person serving my table how to be saved. And I think, well, man, good for you, but I don't, I don't do that. Every time I go to a restaurant, I don't tell the person how to be saved. Some people say, you know, every time I get on a plane, I'm going to tell that person taking my ticket right there how to be saved. Well, I mean, you're getting on a plane. You don't have a lot of time. If you, if you try to tell the person, the agent, how to be saved, you know, you're going to need to get saved from all those people behind you in the line who are wanting to get on the plane. Sometimes it's not appropriate. You have a 10-second or a 20-second encounter. You don't have time. You know, if I'm at a restaurant, I always want to be in touch with the Spirit of God, whether I'm on a plane or in a restaurant or anywhere else or up here. I want to know what is God leading me to do. And at a restaurant, my main objective is to be kind to the person who's serving my table, to try to listen to them and get to know about them as much as possible, maybe if appropriate at the end to invite them to come to church. Uh, it's always very important, I think, when, to leave a good tip when you go to a restaurant. You know, I know some people, they just don't hardly tip anything if at all. And then at the end, they invite the person to come to church. Now, if you're going to do that, invite them to the Methodist church down the street. Or invite them, but don't invite them here. No tip. Hey, we'd love to have you at First Baptist. We're a generous, loving people. No, you're not. You didn't give me any money or tip. So sometimes God has us in a place to plant a seed. I was in a situation in Clear Lake on Friday. I had an encounter at a store with a lady there for a, probably a minute and a half. And in a minute and a half time, I didn't have an opportunity to tell that lady how to get saved. But I did talk to her. I did listen to her. And at the end of it, I said, God bless you. Now, I didn't tell her enough to get saved. But hopefully in that encounter, I just planted a little seed. And sometimes God has us just, just be kind, plant a seed, tell them God bless you, give them a good tip, invite them to church, encourage them, any, something like that. Sometimes God will have us in a situation where we can do a little more than that. We can water the seed. Maybe somebody else has already done that, the first part, but we can come along and say a little bit more and maybe tell them about how good God's been to us or maybe say, is there anything I can pray for you about or do you have a church home or we can do a little more. But sometimes God has us in a setting where the seed has already been planted or maybe it hasn't been planted, but we have a little more time and the setting lends itself to us sharing with this person how they can receive Jesus Christ and how they can be saved. Now, we're going to get into this today, but before we get into the material, I'm just asking you today, when is the last time 
that you actually shared with another human being how they could have Jesus Christ to come live in their heart. You have to think about that. When is the last time that you actually, having shared and having sensed that they were under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when is the last time that you took that person by the hand, if it was appropriate, or if not, you just bowed your head and closed your eyes, and you led that person to pray and ask Jesus Christ to come in their heart? Now, that's a good question. To, I mean, I think I see all these students here today. The students now are filling up not one, but nearly two sections. I mean, what's happening in the student ministry is absolutely phenomenal. But I'm asking you guys, ha, do you regularly share with your friends how they, I mean, you guys have been, many of you have been saved, recently saved, baptized, and you're thinking, man, I've got friends who don't know the Lord. They don't go to church. They've never been saved, but I don't know what to say. Well, today I want to try to help all of us to know what to say when the setting is right, the spirit is leading, the door is open, we have an opportunity, we sense in them some kind of a spiritual hunger, and so we share with them how they can be saved. Now, it's interesting. As I was thinking about this last week, I thought, now, God, what is the most, the easiest way for me to share this so that when we hear this, we can understand it, we can remember it, and when we go from here today, we can implement this in our life. And here's the analogy that came, that came to my mind. You can decide whether it was, is a good analogy or not, but I, I think it's pretty good. So here's what it is. I was thinking this, sharing the gospel, and by, the, the word gospel, by the way, just means good news. That's what that means, good, the good news that we can be saved through Jesus Christ and forgiven of our sins. The gospel is like a piece of cake. And... Uh, our experience of the gospel or our relationship with Jesus and how the gospel has changed our life, it's kind of like the icing. Now, I don't know about you, but I like, I like cake. I think it has some very good nutrients in it that are strengthening for us, and we should probably eat more and more cake. I love cake, but when I eat a piece of cake, typically, before I start eating it, I'll get my fork and I just scrape off, not all, but some of the icing. Because sometimes the icing on the cake, it, you almost feel like you've got, you're eating some cake with your icing, right? Because you've got so much icing. I like to scrape the icing off, most of it, just enough to keep it sweet and moist. I want the focus to be on the cake. Now, what is the analogy? The gospel is like a piece of cake. Our experience in the gospel and of the gospel and with the gospel is like the icing. You know, the problem we have many times when we're talking to somebody about Jesus, we give them a bunch of icing and very little cake. We give them all the information about us. It's all about me, 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 me. And it's interesting, but we're not giving them enough cake so that they can be saved. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste what? Taste the cake, taste the Lord, taste the gospel, taste the meat, as it were, and, uh, and, and then we can share a little bit about ourselves, and that's kind of the extra on top. So what I wanna do, I want us to just take a moment and bake a cake, as it were, and we're gonna have a cake on the screen here, and I know it's getting close to lunchtime, so that's probably making all of us a little bit hungry, and you see the letters C-A-K-E, and so I want this to be a simple acrostic, something we can all remember. Here you are at school this week, and here you are at work. Here you are on the phone with a friend, and the conversation turns spiritual. Maybe they turned it spiritual, or maybe you turned it spiritual, and you're feeling in your heart, I would like to share with this person how they can be saved, but I don't know exactly what 
to say. So you've got to start the conversation somehow. You've got to get into it. And you can start the conversation by saying, you know, I'll tell you what. The greatest thing that ever happened to me is, is that Jesus Christ came to live in my heart. He forgave my sins and he cleansed my heart. He's given me peace. He's given me joy. I still have plenty of problems in my life. I'm far from perfect, but Jesus has changed my life. And, and I'm not sure if that's ever happened to you or not, but would you mind if I shared with you what someone shared with me and about how Christ can change your life. And, and more than likely, that person's gonna say, no, that'd be fine, I'd like to hear. So you don't tell them about cake and, and that part. That's gonna be kind of weird. But you just, in your mind, you have this, C-A-K-E, and the C stands for this, Christ loves us. When I'm talking to somebody, whether it's a child, a teenager, an adult, about the Lord, I always begin there, I always begin by saying, listen, God loves you and God has a plan for your life. He really does. Something very special that he wants you to do uh, in, in your life. But the most important part of that plan is that at the right time, you would become a Christian. So that's what the C stands for. Christ loves us. The A stands for all have sinned. Now, if I'm talking to a child, I have to help that child understand what sin is. Sin is anything, I would say to a child, anything we do that makes God unhappy. It's anything for a child. Sin is disobeying your parents. Sin is getting in a fight with your brother or sister, cheating on a test, using bad language, losing your temper. These things are, are sin. And every time we sin, I say to a child, I get a, a pen and a piece of paper, I draw a heart, and I say every time we sin, we get a little dirty mark in our heart. Here you told a lie. Here you got in a fight at school. Here you disobeyed your teacher. Here all these dirty marks in your heart. Now the problem is, if you die with all those dirty marks in your heart, you can't go to heaven and be with God because heaven is a clean place. It's a perfect place. And in order for us to get to heaven, we have to have our sins forgiven. Does that make sense? The boy says yes. The girl says yes. Now with an adult, we all know that we've sinned. I have, I have never, now occasionally, you might hear somebody say, well, I've never really felt like I need to ask God to forgive me of anything. Let me tell you something. Anytime you hear somebody say, I don't really think I've ever had to ask God to forgive me, run away from that person because that is foolishness. We have all sinned and we all need to ask God to forgive us of our sins. And yet with a child, you have to help understand sin. Most adults 99.9%, they get that and they know that they have sinned. Now, what is the K? The K stands for this, knowing the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus Christ, is imperative. A person cannot be saved. I don't care what their age is. They cannot be saved without knowing the gospel message that Jesus, here it is in a nutshell, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life on this earth. He never sinned. And yet he knew one day that you would be born and that I would be born, that we would all be born and that we would all sin. And he knew that those sins would have to be paid for. Jesus knew that. And he knew that the payment for our sins was death. And so Jesus, here's the gospel. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. They put nails in his hands. They put nails in his feet. They put a sword in his side. And when they did, blood came out of the body of Jesus. And I always say to a child, the only thing that can wash our sins away is the blood of Jesus Christ. I'll say to a child, you had that shirt on today. If you get your shirt dirty, is your mom going to throw that shirt away? 
No. What's your mom going to do? She's going to put it in the, in the uh, washing machine and she's going to put soap and water in there and it's going to make it clean. Exactly. You get a shirt dirty, you put it in the washing machine, soap and water, make that shirt clean. We have dirty hearts. And the only thing that can make our heart clean is the blood of Jesus Christ. It says in 1 John, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That is the gospel. A person can't be saved without knowing that. And then the E, what does it stand for? It's, it's talking about experiencing Christ personally is the key. Now, it's important that we know the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for us. He was buried. He rose again. Have to know that. But just knowing that in our head doesn't make us a Christian. We have to experience Christ in our lives by asking him to forgive us, asking him to save us, asking him to come live in our hearts. And I'll say to a person, whatever the age, I'll say, does that make sense to you? Well, yes, it does. And then I'll say to that person, do you believe that if you ask Jesus Christ, to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins and make you a Christian, do you believe that he will do that? Well, yes, I do. And then I'll say, would you like to do that now? While I'm here, while we're together, I can help you. Would you like to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart? And most of the time, when you get to this point, they'll say, yes, I, I would. I would like to do that. And so you can just pray and you can help them to ask Jesus into your heart. Now, many times I wouldn't do this if I were talking to a child. But if I were talking to an adult, many times when I am talking to an adult and I'm finishing up on the God, I've given them the God, I've given them the cake and I've told them how to be saved. I put a little icing on the top. What is the icing? It's our own personal story. And I would take maybe 30 seconds max to say to that person, I say, you know, here's my, here's my story with Jesus. I, I received Christ in my heart when I was a child. At least I think I did. I think that's when I really got saved. But when I got older, I had doubts. I had questions. I wasn't sure. I didn't have peace or assurance. I felt convicted of my sins in a fresh way. And I just went to Jesus asking him, to forgive me, and if I wasn't already saved, to come live in my heart. Many times I'll share that with an adult, especially an adult who might have grown up in church, because it resonates, and they can, they can understand that. So we want to give them just enough icing to make the gospel a little more palatable for them, but the focus needs to be on the cake and on the fact that Jesus died for them and that Jesus would come to live in their hearts. You know, I had an experience yesterday that was the, I had a great day yesterday, but this was the, the highlight of my day. When somebody joins our church or visits our church and fills out one of these cards, we distribute those to the different ministers. And no minister could call everybody, but every minister can call somebody. And so yesterday I was, I had a handful of phone calls to make. And on one of the families, I was really behind in, in calling and following up on them. But I called and I got this man on the phone. His name is Chris Dodd. Chris and his wife, Shannon, have started coming to First Baptist and have joined our church. And I said, Chris, I just wanted to tell you, man, how glad we are that you guys have joined the church. And, and are you getting connected? Are you getting plugged in? Is, is there any, anything I can help you with at all? And he said, no, you, not really. He said, we love the church. We've been coming for several months now. And he said, I believe you knew my sister, Brandy. I said, well, what's, Brandy, what's Brandy's last name? He said, Brandy Perry and her husband, Mike. He said, I know you, you knew her because you spoke at her funeral. And I said, Brandy Perry was your sister. 
I said, man, I knew her real well. Brandy was a nurse, active member of our church. She was in her late 30s, early 40s, and she began to experience some serious kidney complications. And long story short, she died of kidney failure. And I just love Brandy, and, and her husband, Mike, did ask me to do the service, and I did that. And he said, you know, Chris, Brandy's brother, said to me, he said, you know, John, before Brandy died, she and Mike were always asking us to come to First Baptist. They weren't hounding us or anything like that, but they would just always say, hey, y'all ought to come to the church with us. Y'all would like it. Good people up there. It's, you would like the services. And, 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 and he didn't use this phrase, but what Mike and Brandy were doing, they were just planting the seed. Just planting the seed, planting the seed. He said, John, not long after my sister died, my mom died. And he said, after my mom died, he said, to be honest with you, I just felt lost. You know, I, my, my sister's death, my mom's death, and it all kind of happened such a, at a close period of time. And, and he said, to be honest with you, we just finally said, we're going to go to church because we need some help and, 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 and we need some peace in our lives. And he said, so we started coming to church. Sunday by Sunday, we just started coming, started coming most every Sunday. And he said, I'm going to tell you what happened to us. He said, last April on Easter Sunday, great service. And uh, he didn't say great sermon, but I knew he meant that. I knew he was thinking that. He didn't mention the sermon, but he said, great, it was great. And he said, at the end of the service, when you gave a chance for people to be saved, he said, my wife and I looked at each other and we knew this was our time and this was our day. And he said, John, on Easter Sunday, my wife and I both got saved together at the same time and we stood up and we confessed our faith in Jesus. It's beautiful. He's just telling me this story. And I, Man, it's awesome. He said, so we just kept coming to church. We kept learning more about God. We, we were learning about baptism and the importance of baptism. And we knew we needed to be baptized. And, and we just kept coming and we just kept coming. And he said, while, while we were thinking seriously about baptism, he said, I began to have some heart problems. Very irregular beats and racing hard. And he said, I, I just figured it was anxiety. I'm under a lot of stress. And he said, so, so I went to the doctor just thinking maybe he would help me somehow to deal with the stress and anxiety in my life. And, and the cardiologist said, you know, while you're here, I just want to make 100% sure. He said, I want us to do an echocardiogram, the ultrasound of your heart, and just make sure you're good. And they did the test. And he said, John, when the, when the results of that test came back, it showed that that I had a bad valve in my heart and the location of the valve and the whole anatomy and everything, it was something that in order for them to replace that valve, they were gonna have to do open heart surgery on me. He said, John, I'm 48 years old. My sister died younger than I am. My mom, and he said, I just, to be honest with you, he said, this was not the news that I wanted to hear. Well, no, it's not the news anybody would wanna hear. But he said, you know what? I just had such peace knowing that whatever happens with this surgery, I know beyond the shadow of any doubt that Jesus Christ is living in my heart and that I know I'm saved. And whenever my time comes, I know I'm going to heaven. He said, that being said, I said to my wife, Shannon, he said, look, before I go have this open heart surgery, I know baptism has nothing to do with salvation, but I'd like, why don't we just go ahead and get baptized? And he said, John, a week or two weeks before my surgery, he said, we got baptized. Austin baptized us one Sunday morning. He said, we got baptized. We were so excited about that. And he said, you know, John, the reason I'm giving you all this story he said, you're asking how you can help me. And I'm saying, the church has already helped me. He said, when they rolled me into that operating room to have open heart surgery, he said, because of the fact that I knew 
that Jesus Christ had saved my soul and come live in my heart. He said, John, I had such peace that I can't put it into words and that I can't even begin to explain it. Now, Chris and Shannon, as I was talking to him yesterday, he said, by the way, I'm telling this story by permission or else nobody would ever tell me anything. Y'all think I'm going to get here and say all that. He said, John, we're not, I can't make a promise. He said, we're going to try our best tomorrow. It'll be my first time back at First Baptist since open heart surgery. I don't know. Chris and Shannon, are you here today? I'm completely putting you on the spot. Are you, were you able to come today? There they, look at them standing up right there. There they are. There they are. I'm going to tell you what, you can come hear me preach or you can look at Lazarus right over there because God spared his life and God brought, see, that's what I'm saying. See, there are two ways to communicate the gospel. One is like this and one is like that. St. Francis of Assisi said, every day you should share the gospel and if necessary, use words. Well, it is necessary if you're going to share the gospel. But I'll tell you this, looking over there and seeing them, the power of God to heal his body and to lengthen his life, and more importantly, what Christ has done in them. You say, John, are you telling that story today because you think, see, we have people here today who are not saved. We have people here today who've not made peace with God. And some of you are thinking, are you telling that story today because you think one of these days I'm going to have open heart surgery? No, I'm not. I'm telling that story today because one of these days, your heart's going to stop beating. And when your heart stops beating, they're not going to roll you into an operating room where wise doctors can solve the problem. When your heart stops beating, you're going to step out into eternity. And if you know Christ, you're going to go to heaven and be with him forever. And if you don't know Christ, you're going to end up in hell and be separated from him forever. And that is so unnecessary because everything that needs to be done in order for you to be saved has been done. Now, before we close today, cake. I don't want to put it back on the screen. I want to see if you remember. C-A-K-E. Spell it out with me. C-A-K-E. Okay, you're a good speller, so we got that part down. So let's see if we can remember what they stand for. And I'm not, I'm not going to prompt you. I'm going to just see if, if you got it. C stands for? Christ loves us. That's right. That's very good. Okay, what does A stand for? All have sinned. This is good. The students are coming on now. What does K stand for? Knowing the gospel is imperative. That's right. And what does E stand for? Would you give yourselves a hand? That's absolutely beautiful. I mean, that is beautiful. Christ loves us. We've all sinned. Jesus died on that cross and shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. He rose up out of that grave so that we could go to heaven one day when our bodies die. But if we will invite him to come live in our heart, we can be saved and we can receive him now. You know, in the first sermon, first service, finished the sermon, just like the same sermon, same sermon, gave the invitation, gave people a chance to stand up, Three people this morning in the first service stood up and said, today was my day. September the 18th, my spiritual birthday, where I moved from death to life, from darkness to light, where I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And today, I don't know, I, like I say, I can't look into your heart and see who's saved and who's not saved. But God can. And you know what? You can too. Everybody here today who is saved, you, you know that you're saved. At least for the most part, there may be some who 
or like I used to be, say I'm not 100% sure, but you have an idea. Those today who are not saved, you've not made peace with God, you've not done what Chris and Shannon did on Easter Sunday of this year, you've not received Christ. The good news is today, right now, you can if you'll call on his name. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. I used to quote it when I first started preaching when I was 18. I quote it all the time. It's one of the few verses I had memorized at that time. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And today, Christ can be found and he is near. And if you'll call on him, he'll save you today. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. I believe in this student section. I just, I'm so blessed to see this many students in church. I believe there are probably students here invited by a friend. And today is your day to be saved. I, I believe the odds are that, that I think there were three or four students got saved last week. Others here, adults, maybe your first time to come to First Baptist. Maybe you've been here several times before. But in your heart today, maybe your heart starting to beat a little fast. <laughs> and, and maybe you're beginning to get a little convicted. And maybe you're thinking, you know what? God brought me here today so that I could make my peace with God and I could receive Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. If you've never called on Jesus to save you or you're just not sure that you have, would you pray this prayer right now? Say, dear Jesus, I need to be saved. My life needs to be changed. I ask you, Lord, to come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Wash them away with your blood. Save me. Make me a Christian. Now, if you pray that today, say this to the Lord. Say, Lord, I have asked you to save me. And now I trust you to do it. I trust you, Jesus with all my heart. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be. God, give me in my heart a love for those things that you love and a distaste for those things that you hate.